it's good to be with you all um, this morning. Unfortunately, I was unable to introduce Father Stephen and his wife, Christina and Donovan, uh, this Sunday due to weather, unfortunately, and um, inaugurate him in this next ministry for them and for you here at Church of the Resurrection in Flower Mound. And of course, this is Dallas. The weather does what it does. Uh, I think I was here in June, and it was almost 115 degrees outside, and now it's 15, so that's a 100 swing. Um, I do want to, I I am excited. When you as a church have had the departures and transitions, it would be easy and excusable for you to step back and shrink back, and that's um, uh, on the contrary what I see you did as a church is to step up. I'm grateful for the staff team, for Candace and Jared and Alabama Cindy and Dean and Ann and Joel who've become dear and Courtney served for a time with us on that team, for the leadership council who've acted so wisely during this season and of course the search team and we get to go to lunch today. We're going to go out on the patio and uh, debrief this whole process of the search team. And really the idea is we, um, I think that this church has done a remarkable job and I want to share the things that you all have done and we've learned together for future churches as they also look for new pastors. Um, I do believe that the best days for Church of the Resurrection, and you've had some great days, are ahead of you. And I'm very excited about the ministry that Father Stephen will have among you and this church family Um, I'll be less frequent here, and I hold this church in a very special place. I'll certainly be back later this spring to install officially Father Stephen and do some confirmations of the catechism class going on, which I think there's 30 folks involved in that. It's very exciting. Um, We are here in this season of Epiphany, and one of the things I like about how the historic church Um, upholds and looks at the seasons of Jesus's life is it gives us a chance for a short time to look at some particular questions of our faith in each season. In Epiphany, um, during the season, every year at Church of the Redeemer where I served in Greensboro, North Carolina, I would ask people these two questions throughout the season. So as they met in their equivalent of Mesa groups and small groups and the like, These two questions I would want them to articulate individually and together. Where are you seeing the grace of God at work in your life? And secondly, where do you need it? Now, the second question is usually easier for us to articulate because we know our bumps and bruises. But a real cultivated gift is gratitude for where we see the grace of God appearing to us. And grace often comes in unexpected ways. I can say to you, even serving in this interim epiphany is a common way of saying, aha, I had an epiphany. I saw the light. I've been, I figured it out. Um, I was walking through the airport uh, yesterday and I saw a young girl with a sweatshirt on that said, Jesus is real. And it had my mind turning I wonder what that shirt communicated to the hundreds of people or more who saw it. Is Jesus real? So today, I want us to consider this first invitation, come and see. Come and see is these three things, at least. Come, take a look at Jesus. Come and see. Come, take a look at him. Secondly, 
It is to come and know him. Come and see. I want to consider him. I want to think about him. I want to explore and inquire into who he is. And secondly, I want to know him better. And thirdly, to come be astonished and amazed at who he is and what he does. So let's take a look first. See, Jesus doesn't come to you and say, I want you to come and die with me. He starts off at a lower bar. Come and see. Come and check things out. I'm going to say that that's what you'll need to do with your next rector. You need to come and see and meet this person and learn and listen what God's doing to call him here, to be open to who he is and what he does and directions that he may take this church. And it might not be where you're used to. Um, I heard recently um, in a, a presentation about artificial intelligence that fairly shortly, the only way we will know something is true is if I'm able to hear it live and see it and touch the person saying it. I heard on a podcast recently, a man shared a podcast clip that he did. And it was a cogent, lucid conversation with the person. And then he said, that wasn't me. That was artificially generated. Imagine that. Uh, sound clips running around of conversations that you had, but you never had. This is why the grace of God appearing, the incarnation of Jesus, is so crucial for our faith. Listen to John. He says in, his, in the epistle, 1 John, that which was from the beginning, Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. This life appeared. We've seen it and we testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So Jesus' invitation of come and see means taking a look at him, thinking about him, considering him. The Christian faith comes down to very simply this concept. What are you going to do about this person of Jesus? C.S. Lewis, the famous writer, once said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. What are you going to do with the person of Jesus? His words, his life, and his teaching. You may say, but Alan, I don't get to touch him and hear him the way that we hear in the scripture. How can I know that he's true? How can I come and see a person who's come and gone? First Peter says this, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Jesus even says to Thomas, blessed are the ones who have not seen and believe. It's very tempting to think, I kind of wish I was like those first disciples. I could have gotten to see. 
hey, guess what? They doubted and they abandoned. So don't overestimate that reality. The blessing that Jesus says is that if you hear his words and you believe, that's where blessing is. This is the beauty of what we call the doctrine of the incarnation of Jesus. That Jesus walked, talked, breathed, ate, slept, laughed, played, and lived among the disciples and people then. If we don't have his incarnation, if he really didn't do this, and this story wasn't really true, then all of our talk about who God is is pure speculation. It's your view of God and your opinion of God, your opinion of no God, but the incarnation comes in and offers a clarity And Jesus invites us, even today, because of what happened, to come and see him. Come and think about him. Maybe this Sunday you've showed up today and you feel far away or bored or apathetic. This invitation comes to you. Come and see and consider Jesus, his words. And you may think, well, I've been around the Christian life a long time. I have too, 33 years. I've been a Christian 33 years. And I'm telling you, I'm having to explore Jesus' words of come and see to think about him because I'm personally in some situations relationally that are fraying and difficult. I'm having to consider his very life and his words about forgiveness and reconciliation. So come and see is not just a platitude. It's an invitation for you today to come Take a look at his words. See the grace and the power in them. Psalm 66.1 says, Come and see what our God has done, what awesome miracles he performs for his people. So that's the first thing. Come and see, consider, think about Jesus and who he is. Secondly, Jesus says, Come and you will see. Verse 38 of John 1. It is not an accident that the word come is before the word see. We must first come to Jesus before we can fully understand who he is. And the longer we are able to abide or remain with him, the more he reveals himself to us. That's the call on our lives as men and women who are Christians. If you're considering the Christian faith, I want you to understand something. Just like in an earthly relationship, the longer you get to know someone, the more you learn about them. Come and see is personal. It is amazing and a deeply profound invitation that God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who has created everything and holds everything together, wants to be known by us and know us. This is possibly the most difficult part of our life in Christ. We pray that he may dwell in us and we in him. Do I experience that? The Christian life is immensely personal. Back to the sweatshirt in the airport. Jesus is real and he is with us. All of our relationships run shallow or afoul, but not with Christ. He is the source of all we want. So I think of it this way. Why do you want a beautiful home? 
You know, there's sort of an evangelical guilt. I can't really want to nice them because that would be like worldly and greedy. But I have this longing for a beautiful home. Why is that? Why do you want to shop at Pottery Barn versus rooms to rent or whatever it is? Why do you long for these things? You may say, well, that's because I'm greedy. Is it that you're greedy or is it that what you long for inside is beauty and home? And that beauty, that longing is disordered. So yes, it turns into greed. But what you're ultimately longing for is to be home in the beauty that is built in you. Ecclesiastes says that eternity has been set in your hearts. Eternity. So you're going to long for things eternal. And you're going to look for things temporal to feel that eternal longing. That's why we long to have great family uh, vacations and holidays like Christmas. Isn't it great when it's wonderful, but often it's not wonderful? Why do you long for that? Because what you ultimately long for in this life is family, to be known, and to be accepted, and to be loved. Our longing in our hearts is found in Christ. All of our longings are ultimately a longing for God. And that longing is found in this passage, even as Jesus approaches Nathanael. This is what Jesus does with Nathanael. Verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. The King James Version says guile. I love that word. Nathanael says, How do you know me? Right? Jesus makes a comment about Nathanael's character. And Nathanael says, Bro, you don't know me, as my 17-year-old would say. And Jesus answers, I saw you. Just want to pause for a second. I saw you while you were still under that fig tree before Philip called you. This is why the Bible's accounts of the Gospels are like no other book. Some people think Jesus' statement is detail management. What was Nathaniel doing? I saw him. He was over there. But Jesus doesn't go that direction. He doesn't say, you know, I saw you spatially. He says, actually, I saw you. I saw your character. I saw what you were doing under that fig tree. Now, if that doesn't make you a little concerned... Um, we have a video camera in our house. We have them outside to see what's going on. We have them inside with teenage boys. I'm more worried about the inside than the outside right now. So we, we had this additional person in our family. It's a ghost, not the Holy Ghost, but a ghost. His name's Jonathan. He makes messes. He eats food. He takes things out of my room that disappear like my shoes now and money and things like that. And I ask our kids, which one of you did this? And they all say, not me. And so we refer to that person as Jonathan. So I put up a camera to see Jonathan, to see how much Jonathan was eating between the hours of 1 a.m. and 5 a.m. in our house. 
for the fifth or sixth meal that our kids are eating. So put this camera up. I'm so excited one morning. I look at it, and I notice this hand comes out of the side and turns the camera. So Jesus saw Nathaniel. He saw who he really was. Let me give you a speculative at one level, but very plausible answer. If you ask a pastor or a preacher or a theologian about this passage, we actually have to say we don't know what he was doing. We don't know what Jesus was referring to. But let me speculate, holy speculation. There's an ancient rabbinical tradition that Nathan was studying the Torah. He was actually reading the Bible under this fig tree. Why the fig tree? Some think Nathaniel was under the fig tree reading this promise, Micah 4.4. They shall sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees, and no one shall make them afraid. So possibly, plausibly, this is what Jesus is referring to. And I think it's a very winsome and plausible explanation. It's interesting that the American dream that we have is based upon individuals having the right of life, liberty, and happiness, and safety and security. Our first president, George Washington, quoted this passage, Micah 4.4, more than 50 times in the journals and writings that we have of him. He even used it as the basis of the American Revolution of independence, simply for people to be able to live in the freedom and not fear. In many ways... Micah 4.4 is one of the key promises of the Old Testament, or shall I say, the Israelite dream. And that's why it later became an expression in rabbinical traditions for studying the scriptures. Sort of like when we say we're having devotional time, we say I'm having my quiet time. For the rabbinical tradition, they would say I'm sitting under a fig tree. It's my way of studying the scriptures and talking about it. In Nathaniel's day, the most basic Israelite dream was having a fig tree and a vine to live under, which was symbolic of having your independence and living in the security of the Lord, not oppression of another person. Due to oppression of both corrupt Jewish rulers and Roman rulers, People had lost their family farms and vines and fig trees. Many uh, scholars say that huge numbers of the population in Israel at Jesus' time were consigned to living as slaves and just getting by working as slaves. No doubt why the crowds flocked to this miracle worker. When Jesus calls Nathaniel an Israelite, it's not a derogatory term, but it is barely used in the New Testament. No one spoke like that. It had become out of date, kind of like the dream of everyone having their own vine and fig tree to sit under. Most people were either called Judeans or Galileans. But Jesus sees Nathaniel as an Israelite sitting under the fig tree. In other words, possibly what Jesus saw was a man who trusted in the promises of God. That's what it means to be Israel, to struggle, to wrestle with God and live, to trust in him. 
And consequently, Nathan, when he hears this, says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Why did he go from, could anything good come out of Nazareth, to confessing, you are the son of God and the king? When I went to meet the, the parents for the first time of Angela Kay, I'm from Oklahoma, she's a Texan, I fly down to Midland, Texas, where she's from, and her dad said to her before I arrived, honey, there's like nine million boys here in Texas. Couldn't you have found a boy from Texas? That's his way of saying, can anything good come out of Oklahoma? How did Nathaniel go from, can anything good come out of Nazareth, to you are the son of God, the king of Israel. What an amazing statement of God. This is why Paul tags this later by showing how God uses the upside down, the topsy-turvy, the unexpected, and the weak things of the world to confound and shame the wise. God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and things that are not to nullify things that are so that no one may boast before him. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? To you are the son of God, the king of Israel. What an amazing statement. So come and see first. Take a look and consider the words of Jesus. Secondly, come and see. It's very personal. Jesus desires relationship. And third, come and see is our invitation to see the glory of God. This passage is power-packed. It's short and dense, but it's power-packed with Old Testament allusions. In verse 45, Philip found Nathanael, and he said, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. And this is where Nathanael asks the question, Nazareth, can anything good? Philip's response to to Nathanael is this, come and see. Come and see. What happens when you come and see? This is what Jesus says. Very truly, I tell you, Nathanael, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus answers Nathanael's question with an Old Testament story, the story of Jacob's ladder, where Jacob, who's running for his life from his brother Esau, he's about to lose everything. He thinks he's about to die, and he falls asleep, and he has this dream. And in the dream, he has this amazing vision of this ladder that goes up into the heavenly realms, And he sees in the ladder angels of God ascending, sorry, descending and ascending up. And then he wakes up. And he's left to figure out what this this dream means. Jesus interprets for Jacob in front of Nathaniel what this dream means. He says, I am the ladder. I am the one who comes and brings you into the presence of God. The power of Jesus to bring us into the presence of God and to redeem us is the fulfillment of all these stories. 
All the Old Testament stories. Have you ever met someone who is the hero of every story? And when you share a story like, I met a president, they say, yeah, I got one better. I died, and I went to heaven, and I talked to Jesus, and I came back. We had a friend, and we used to call him One-Up Bob. Whatever story we shared, like, I went to the grocery store and found a $100 bill. He's like, yeah, I won the lottery. It was just incessant. It was annoying. It's off-putting and offensive to be around a person who their story is always better than yours, and they always one-up what you've done, unless it's true. Unless it's true. Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of these stories. I'm the ladder Jacob was dreaming about. If you want to know God, you have to know me. And in fact, I'm the one who brings God from above to you. That's why he's telling Nathaniel, you'll be amazed at what I do if you come and see. Come and believe. Come and follow me. Oh God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you. Come and see the Lord Jesus today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.